0: Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, the University of Texas at Austin has an open rank faculty position at the Department of Design in the School of Design and Creative Technologies. Of course, this is in Austin, Texas. And if you're looking for remote work, Bandcamp is hiring a user experience designer. Companies, stop making excuses on your D&I efforts and post your job listings with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And for this week's interview, I'm talking with the multi talented Stephen Christian. Stephen does a little bit of everything he does animation, he does comics, he does podcasting. He's also an entrepreneur and he's located in Portland, Oregon. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do.
1: My name is Stephen Christian. I have a variety of projects that go by different monikers. One is stuck on an Island. Now there's is Iltopia. Another is black superheroes matter. Another one is Pokemon torque team. Um, and I am a creator and a creator in sort of a loose term. I create, uh, educational courses that focus around, uh, art and technology. And it's geared towards, uh, you know minority students particularly black students getting into tech i create uh, web comics and and cartoons for youtube and online platforms i create books and stickers for my my studio iltopia and i create a lot of products and print products and stuff for for that and then i also create ar experiences for using immersive technology and really focused around exploring my identity as a black person and also really making use of all the tools that are available. I guess my little side hustle is that I'm trying to get into medical school right now. And so I'm also going through the, uh, the medical school application process. And I have like a, a medical school interview in like a week or so. So I'm starting to ramp up for that. But for the most part, I just, you know, wake up every day and create stuff.
0: I love that you just kind of slyly threw that in about, oh, yeah, medical school, that's my side hustle.
1: Like, yeah. what? <laughs> it, it's uh, I mean, it's a side hustle now because everything else sort of picked up. And so when the things that are happening now start to die down, then I'm pretty sure the the whole medical school thing is going to take more real estate in my life as as we get closer to that uh, admission date.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, with everything that you have going on, like, I'm curious How do you balance all of these different things? I mean, we'll we'll get into the projects that that you're talking about, but I'm curious about that because, you know, last year was such a tumultuous year in a lot of different ways. And, you know, people kind of took different avenues in terms of how they dealt with a lot of the uncertainty around things that were happening. How did you balance all of that with what sort of went on last year?
1: I think it's, I'm sort of, a byproduct of this asynchronous culture that we're sort of in many people have, well, the majority of us, because we've all been remote have had to immediately adopt an asynchronous approach to working on projects and asynchronous just means like you're working on multiple projects and they don't necessarily align with the timelines that you have for other things. Uh, you're sort of just working on them over time and at your leisure. But for me, I've been doing that for the past couple of years as a freelancer. And so it just so happened that like a lot of the stuff that I was doing or that I've been doing over the past couple of years has like intersected to the point where like I'm just releasing a whole lot of stuff. But I've been working on it for months or years prior to that. So it's a it's a little bit of movie magic. I I think that and also. Just as a as a football player, you learn how to manage your time in a very unique way because you don't have a lot of time and you don't have a lot of money. And so just the combination of those two things and just my desire to like streamline processes and be and still be creative has uh, it's really tested my workflow this year or last year and stuff. So I think it's something that I was made for this sort of, you know, I was I was primed and ready for this sort of climate. And so I always sort of crack myself up that, like, it took a pandemic for me to actually have a like a a actual like career. And uh, (laughs) and it's it's just really interesting because prior to this, like literally prior to this, like, you know, I had to the stuff that I was doing, I had to convince people why it why it mattered. And that is I don't have to do that anymore. And it's it's, uh, you know, it's pretty surreal.
0: That's very interesting. You know, it took a pandemic for me to have a career. That's a that's a great kind of takeaway for all of this. I used to joke kind of early on last year when the lockdowns were happening and stuff like that. I was like, oh, working from home asynchronously? I can do that. I've been doing that since 2008. Like, it's nothing. I can do it standing on my head. Which I think probably like earlier on in the pandemic, I could because I had my job to kind of you know, sort of use as a buffer between not watching the news and also trying to keep up with what's going on, you know, kind of, I would have have that as a buffer between those two. As the pandemic went on and I lost my job and everything, of course that changed, but it's interesting how people are finding their way throughout all this. And I should say, you know, we're we're still in it. We're, we have not by any stretch of the imagination beat it in any sort of way. I think we're certainly coming up at some kind of a light at the end yeah. of the tunnel with the vaccines, but I don't want to go too much into talking about COVID. This is about <laughs> you, but it's interesting how people have, I don't wanna even want to say grown, how they've adapted. I'll say that. Interesting how people have adapted through this time. Some have grown, you know, through it. Others haven't. It's just this is a very kind of unprecedented time right now in general.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things to that point, like, it's really showed where people's where people's convictions are, because it's like, you know, this is this is the time this is sort of COVID is the great equalizer in, in many ways. And, you know, obviously, they're sort of the realities of institutions that sort of predispose or make people more susceptible. But but the reality is that, like those that are making it out or those that are those that are able to adapt to this. And so, you know, like we're not having conversations about the thing about 2020 and the thing about COVID is that we're not having conversations about telling people to put down their phones or get away from a screen. And we're not having uh, conversations about why people should not be YouTubers. We're having conversations about why, you know, like some things are 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 not, you know, future proof. And we're having conversations about what do we do about that? Uh, What do we do about that reality now that we know that things aren't like certain things aren't future proof, you know, like and and it's sort of a paradigm shift that leads to a lot of bitter truths about, you know, the lives that we were living pre-pandemic. And so, um, and so it's, a uh, you know, for me, like if, if I was a, if I was not interested in like art and like science, like hard sciences, then, uh, I would probably be like an anthropologist. And just because like, these are sort of the, the curiosities that like I find joy in, but I don't want to get a PhD in anthropology to actually make money. So, you know, I'll just sort of, you just view things from the, view things from the sideline and and see and make stories about it, I suppose.
0: Yeah. And speaking of stories, you know, let's talk about the work that you're doing through your business, Illtopia Studios, where you are telling stories using a number of different media. Talk to me about what inspired you to create your own studio.
1: I wanted to get a job in the creative industry and, I couldn't get a job, so I just made one. <laughs> and like, in, uh, <laughs> give you like a Sparknose version. Yeah, it was a, it was something that like I've always sort of played around with. Like my mom is a civil engineer and uh, growing up, she had a, she ended up like starting her own business, starting her own construction company. And she ended up being like one of the first, first and only, no, I wouldn't say the first, but like one of the only black Female general contractors in the state of California or on the West Coast, and so uh, and so sort of seeing that and uh, seeing just like that idea of being realized, and then sort of like growing up and and finding how that that possibility sort of like resonated with me. Just in the arts, I would get tons of you know rejections from you know or not get calls back for you know creative jobs or or industry stuff. And then on the flip side, I would post stuff on on the Internet and a whole bunch of people would ask me to do like album covers and and stuff like that. And so after a while, I was like, well, why don't I just get a job just to like pay bills and stuff and then just use that money to reinvest into, you know, the work that I'm doing. And then from there, I just kept being diligent, started going to marketplaces and showing my stuff, doing street art fairs and stuff and and then just expanded from there. Got a couple of viral projects, and then the rest was history.
0: Has business kind of changed over the past year or so, given just kind of the state of the world?
1: Oh, heck yeah. Man, like, so the funny thing about it is, like, I do most of my stuff on a computer, except for online sales. And so, like, it wasn't until this year that I actually started selling stuff online. Because for me, my stuff is so... Uh, the way I've like marketed and the way I've like sold stuff is it's really sort of tied to my story. And so the process and how I make things and I make things by hand. So like all of my products that like people buy or buy are handmade. And so it's like that personal touch is always something that has been very hard to replicate online. And so I I just haven't really bothered with it. I just make a whole bunch of stuff and then go out into the world and sell it. But with the pandemic, obviously you can't do that. And so from there, I actually I opened up a like an e-commerce store back in like May or June. I had a website, but like I didn't have like e-commerce. And so back in May or June, and then I ended up going to like a going to Shopify like a couple like two or three months ago for the holiday season. But yeah, this year was really like how to actually sell stuff online was like the theme for like, like the business. And I'm pretty proud of all the stuff that I was able to do with that. So
0: Nice. It's interesting. You know, I've heard from a number of people, mostly other black entrepreneurs about how kind of the past year was really a big boost for them. I think in part because of the different social justice protests and things like that and businesses now pledging to get behind black voices or work with black Mm -hmm. creators or, you know, things of that nature. So I do know, I mean, I can speak personally, it's happened to me too, you know, and it's good to, to have that come up, to have that recognition. Unfortunately, it had to come at the death of an unarmed Black man. But it's kind of, you know, I, I spoke last week's interview was with Michelle Pace, and she was talking about kind of how she felt guilty because this is the best year that she's had. But it's like it had to come, you know, at such a kind of weird, morbid cost in that way.
1: Yeah. And I think this sort of goes back to that. That the what I said about COVID being the great equalizer, right? It's like the things the the plight of Black people is has been sort of mediated by the realities that we're in a pandemic, and so the things that disproportionately affect us are affecting everybody now, and so because of that, the problems that like are going to hinder us are going to are going to be problems that hinder other people therefore there's going to be things put in place to actually support that. And so in a twisted way like we're getting the support that we should have been getting from the beginning. And that's because COVID is around and it's just wrecking everything up. And so it's just it's weird. It's I would say it's weird in a way that like it's surreal. It took black people to die and and that being sort of Uh, plastered on the news and the internet, which happened every single year up until this point. But I think at some point, like just there was a nerve that struck that uh, the the combination of the pandemic and then the very same things that continue to happen every year just really sort of broke the camel's back and, and structures just started to fall. So I think this is that level of guilt, which, you know, for me, I have my own sort of guilt that's sort of following me as it relates to COVID, but this is the black experience right here. You know, like this is indicative of the black experience. Just the fact that you're doing well amongst a pandemic and you feel guilty about it because you understand the realities of how that success is sort of coming to be. That's what blackness is.
0: Yeah. Ooh, I didn't mean to bring it <laughs> I didn't mean to bring the conversation <laughs> down with that, but uh no, that is uh shit. Yeah, no, that's true. So with you having your hands in so many projects, you know, podcasting, animation, Skillshare courses, all that sort of stuff. Is there a favorite project out of all the ones you do? Like you, you also mentioned Pokemon twerk team, which I now have an interest in.
1: (laughs) So my, my two favorite projects that I'm working on right now. Yeah. I guess two favorite projects and independent of Pokemon twerk team, Pokemon twerk team will forever be like this own little thing. But One thing that I'm working on is like a hands-free mobile augmented reality, like demo for like human anatomy. Like what that means is it's just like a bunch of like word jargon. Right. But like what that means is like being able to put you like, use your phone and have it track your hands, which is like very difficult for like just a phone and then interact with 3d objects without having to have like a $500 or $2,000 device. Right. So it's just like this cardboard headset that like I made with like an Amazon box and I put my phone in it and then, you know, I'm able to interact with like a huge skull that like can explode and and you could turn it around and stuff like that. And so I'm like currently working on that. That's like a favorite project that like I would love to see just exist. And uh, I would love to just sort of just be like, hey, black people could do this if you give them opportunities. And then. My other one is this project called Island Fever, which is uh, essentially like an iteration of my webcomic that I've turned into an AR experience. And essentially it's just taking a regular book or webcomic and then overlaying different animation, 3D animation, 2D animation, sound, some sort of game aspects to it. and, And really changing the way like a book experience is and For me, I think that really resonates with me on on many levels because it's it's been sort of the focal point for me to like utilize all the skills that I've developed over the years, like book design, illustration, you know, comic book writing, comic book making. I can make the books by hand and then I can also do all the 3D stuff that I want, 3D modeling, 3D animation, input and all that. So it's sort of a way for me to show my skills or test my chops in a very nuanced way. And then, you know, obviously Pokemon Twerk Team, which is ironically the the first animated project that I sort of put out on YouTube like six or seven years ago. And then during like the Vine days, it like blew up and then it just sort of blew up during TikTok. And then I got shadow banned and then people caught wind of it. And now I'm like exploring new areas of 3D animation with it. So it's just uh, a lot of my projects are really a way for me to explore the tools and create what the create in sort of that area. And yeah, yeah. So I, I always have tons of projects. I always have tons of projects.
0: That hands-free AR demo reminds me of, there's a library
1: called handsfree.js. Have you heard of that? Anything dealing with JavaScript or JS is always, as a developer, I'm just like, oh my gosh, Jesus. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I haven't. I haven't. I think. There's a few sort of AR things that I follow, but I haven't followed that.
0: Hmm. It's interesting you say that because the guy who created it is also in Portland. His name is Oz Ramos. And I heard about him back when I was working. This was last year when I worked at Glitch. He was developing stuff on Glitch. Glitch is a a browser tool where you can make web apps inside the browser. So it's like a full on IDE, you can load in stuff from npm, you can load in JavaScript libraries, etc. But Oz was working, he had created this library called handsfree.js, which is a, a browser, sort of a browser extension that lets you do hands-free stuff for like face modeling or or hands or something like mm-hmm. that. So when you mentioned like this demo of this skull being able to explode out, I was like, that reminds me of a similar kind of, well, not a similar demo, but a demo that Oz had where you could sort of use your face to navigate the web. Like Interesting. Yeah, like you use it sort of to navigate through a browser or something like that. I don't know if he's still working on it. Actually, I'm looking at him on Twitter. He is still working on it. So if you want to check it out, oh, I yeah. think he's renamed it to MIDI Blocks, M-I-D-I-B-L-O-C-K-S, for those who are listening that also want to check it out. But uh it's okay. handsfree.com js.org and he's got a couple of different models of stuff that he's doing and he is also in portland pretty cool guy from what i know from the the times i've interacted with him so that might be a future collab or something i don't know but you know just putting that out there
1: like portland is so small that like once i got connected to like one person Uh in like the bay area that like does some like vr stuff or some like xr stuff then, like they introduced me to this huge community, and half of the people are in Portland, and everybody's on Twitter. So it was just like you know <laughs> I literally went from uh, I literally went from like I think in May, not knowing anybody to like June, knowing like half the industry. And I was just like, crap, man, like this, and they all in Portland, we can't see nobody because we're in the middle of a pandemic. it's mm-hmm. like, oh man, it's been a very interesting year for me this time last year. I just opened up unity. And so I wasn't even like in, I was just learning how to do like AR stuff. Yeah, And I was just like working as a personal trainer and that was it. I was just, just chilling. That was about it. And then, uh, the beginning of 2020 was had some hopes and then all that sort of fell flat in like March. And then from like March to April, it was just like, you know, pinching pennies together and and trying to figure out what my next thing was because the gym closed down. And after that, I, you know, I was just sort of out of a job. I was freelancing and freelancing with no projects coming in. So I was just doing just stuff. And from there, it was just, yeah, those were the days.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the 3D and AR stuff that you are doing now, you basically learned that in about the span of a year?
1: Yeah, literally a year. So December 11th, 2019 was when I first opened up unity. I ended up going to a I go to I went to Adobe max 2019. I went to Adobe max 2019. That was like a birthday present for me And so I did that was introduced to like a lot of like the AR stuff that was around and a few people that I met there uh, Gave me some resources to just sort of play around with so that next month for the holiday season I went on Udemy. I got a whole bunch of different like A, how to do AR courses. And then from there, you know, like my animator brain started to kick in. You know, I started really just exploring the tools and and doing a lot of test projects. And from there, it was just, yeah, I just like, I think I'm fortunate enough to sort of like get into the AR scene pre-pandemic when like people were like just putting out projects and then posting them on YouTube and then showing how they did those. And then from there, I just started just having at it yeah, the rest was history, you know? So I literally went from, like, opening up Unity December 2019 to speaking at, like, the Unity conference about the work that I'm doing in Unity in October. It was wild. Like, wow. dude, it was wild. Like, and so now, you know, I'm sort of building out curriculums that I- include, that use immersive technology and Unity and 3D models and all that stuff. So it, it it's, yeah, I would say 2020 was a bad start, but just grit and conviction, you know, kind of came out on top. It was, it was tough, but Hey, you know, this is life. This is what it is.
0: No, I mean, but I mean, props to you for, I mean, picking this up and really running with it so quickly, you know, I mean the fact that you're able to kind of learn it and then really turn right back around and teach other people, you know, is amazing.
1: I think I was fortunate enough to like, when I, First got into AR and I first started putting out like my first couple of demos and stuff. (laughs) The thing about it was that I was still able to like do markets and stuff like so January, February, March, things weren't shut down. Right. And so because of that, I was able to like put out a project and then do a market and then like sort of market test it. And so I put out a couple of like a series of AR prints or a series of, you know, my first version of the AR app. And then I would do a market and then people would buy it and they would like interact with it. And so typically prior to that, I would, you know, go to markets and stuff and how it would try to like convince people about sort of what they would get from it. But then the fact that they can interact with everything and it was just new, it was innovative. You know, the stuff that I would spend hours and hours doing and then spend hours trying to convince people to do, I didn't have to spend the hours convincing people to check it out. And so just the the speed at which people adopted the work that I was creating was just like, Oh snap, you know, I just had to make it an AR thing and people were going to go crazy about it. And so like, I think that that experience that I had just trying to just put stuff out and get responses just further, just dove me down like the rabbit holes of, of creating in that space. It just really allowed me to, it gave me a narrower focus for it. And so, uh, If I wasn't doing markets or if I just sort of stumbled upon it post pandemic, I don't think that I would have been focused in the way that I was going into it. So, uh, yeah, it was weird because I've been an animator for about seven years and the way people responded to animation on a screen and the way people responded to animation just through AR completely different. And to the point where it's like, I don't have to do as much work in animating to get a better response from an audience and so it's really allowed me to not do as much work and get a better payoff so oh that's interesting yeah yeah it's an interesting dynamic that i don't think many people really really are forced to reckon with because very rarely are you running into somebody that sells does street art and then also does ar stuff and then also sort of is an animator and so like just that that intersection is just very hard to come by. And because of that, I mean, that's why there's just people just aren't aware of it, I suppose.
0: Do you think that people's like perception, though, with animation has changed over the years? I mean, you said you've been doing this now for the past seven years. And I feel like with the way that I want to just say mainstream pop culture in general, but like, I feel like animation has started to become seen more of as a medium and less as a genre. Yeah. And like people have started to kind of see the power of stories they can tell through the medium of animation instead of thinking of an animated story as something for children.
1: Yeah, I think it's because I sort of got started at the peak of YouTube animation when sort of independent animators were making their own shorts and then sort of the YouTube algorithm changed and, and people weren't it wasn't sustainable for animators to spend Months where I can go on a two-minute animation, but from there it really forced animators and and people sort of interested in animation to find ways to make animated stuff and like use it as a medium, but then also not get burned out and deal with sort of the realities of an of, you know an animator. So animation as a medium, I think it's really tied to uh, the accessibility that animation is now. Any kid that has a a tablet computer like a Microsoft Surface or an iPad can be an animator. And so therefore they don't have to be restricted to just doing comics or they don't have to be restricted to doing like motion graphics. They can actually draw and do frame by frame animation or 3D animation with Blender, any of those things in the comfort of their homes. And then they could put it out and they could tell stories in animation. Because of the accessibility, I think it's shifted To allow people to treat it as the medium that it is rather than just, oh, this is a story that's animated and I only like animation because I can watch the stories or see the stories that are available or that resonate with me. It's like, no, I could actually animate stuff now rather than and then I could also draw it as comics. I could always do this. I could do that. Like it's I think it's because of that accessibility that really allows people to really change the way they see the animation as a whole
0: yeah let's kind of switch gears here a little bit because you talked about california which is is where you grew up correct
1: yeah yep so grew up in northern california both of my parents are from the bay area from richmond california and okay so i grew up in in sacramento and richmond in many ways but yeah yep. northern were, california kid
0: were you exposed to like a lot of like creativity and art and design as a kid?
1: Not really. I mean, for the most part, I was like the creative kid in the group. I because my mom was like a my mom was a civil engineer, she would do like different teaching residencies and, and stuff like that for like little kids. So she was sort of taking me and my sisters around with her. And so I was sort of that kid in the back of the class making like structures out of spaghetti sticks and, and marshmallows. And I was the kid that had like the Zoid sets playing around with those and stuff. But in terms of like sort of like creativity and all that stuff like that really wasn't a thing. I was like a three three sport kid. So I was just sort of like the creative kid in the group out of all like my friends really wasn't a thing. I want to say until probably I got to college. Late high school, I started doing airbrush because that was sort of like the thing is to have like an airbrush shirt and my parents wouldn't get me airbrush stuff. And so I ended up just like buying a, like an airbrush set and started to like make my own stuff and then ended up selling it. So no, it wasn't until like, you know, late high school or college that I I really got creative.
0: So you're growing up playing sports. You went to college on an athletic scholarship, right?
1: Yep. Yep. Went to university of Hawaii. And then I ended up transferring to, to Oregon state like three years later.
0: Now when you were at University of Hawaii, you kind of that was the the transition for you from sports into art. Can you kind of talk about what happened there?
1: Yeah, so I ended up having my second hip reconstructive surgery, tore my hip flexor and like a whole bunch of cartilage and they had to like reconstruct the the ball and socket joint in my hip. And from there I wasn't sure after my second surgery, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to play again in the back of my mind, like that, you know, I was still going to play, but like, just the reality was I was in a wheelchair and you know, like very rarely do do football players or defensive backs. Like I was come back to the field after that. And so from there, I just was like, okay, if this is it for me, like, what do I have left? You know, what can I sort of fall back on? And, and the reality was that like there really wasn't anything. And so, you know, for me, I was like, well, If I don't have anything, if I'm like starting back, like at square one, like what is something that like I've always been interested in? And so, you know, for me, I just said, well, I really enjoyed the boondocks, every comic strip that Aaron McGregor came out with. I love the animated show. I love Dragon Ball Z. I love all these things. What if I just like made that since like the boondocks and stuff at that time, it wasn't out like it wasn't out then or wasn't still on. So I was like, what if I just made that? And so, you know, from there, I ended up going to Borders Books and getting a web comics for teens book and like some animation book. And then I just sort of made a little independent study and spent the, you know, the next six months or so just like trying to learn how to animate. And it it was just sort of that was sort of the launching point. Ended up getting going for the school newspaper and starting to carve out my own little like career for myself or career path from there. And then from there, I think by the time, like the summer hit, I was transferring to Oregon state. So then I ended up like, you know, returning back to the field. But that was like, at that point I knew that like I, another path was, was telling stories and making comics. And, you know, I just started to just build off of that. Really.
0: Is it a, a hard transition to make? Not
1: really. I think, The thing was that, like, to me, like, football wasn't going to end while while I was at Hawaii. And so I think I was stubborn enough to sort of still believe that, like, I'm still going to go to the league (laughs) regardless of having two hip surgeries. And, you know, so for me, like, this is just something that I had the opportunity to explore while I'm on vacation, essentially. And and so that it wasn't a hard transition because I was still going to school I was still sort of rehabbing and and working out. It's just that like the time that I would normally be spending practicing and the time going through film study, I just had to myself and I didn't know what to do with that. And so for me, like it, it, before it was even like a career path or anything, like I just needed a way to like spend my time. And, and I think like somebody stole my Xbox too. So like, I really like had (laughs) nothing else to do uh, in Hawaii, but like, you know, do something that will keep me out of trouble. It just sort of just fell. It just came out at, at the right time, to be honest with you. And then people just started liking the stuff that I was putting out. And this was during like DeviantArt and like at the early days of uh, of Instagram. And so people just started liking the stuff that I was putting out, which in a way just encouraged me to just do more.
0: Wow. So you picked up art while you're kind of recuperating from this injury and surgery and everything at University of Hawaii you mentioned then you went to Oregon State University was that kind of your first foray into being a working i guess creator or designer in a way
1: i don't know i feel like that was if we were to say like that's where i started to get like my first glimpse of like formal art education if you were to say because when i was at Oregon State I ended up playing a lot more than I was at uh, at Hawaii. I ended up uh, going in as a starter uh, playing football, and then from there I was in their grad program. I was in an interdisciplinary program where I was doing, I think, art, psychology, and exercise sports science as like my focuses. And so I was like a grad student, and then I was a like a starting football player, and then I was sort of this comic book artist or cartoonist for the newspaper. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so for two years, that's quite just, a mix. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I was literally just like doing all three of those at like, and sort of leveling up every week with the variety of things and really sort of like carving my own sort of identity with that. Yeah. I guess like when I got to Oregon state, if we we're to sort of track this out, Hawaii was sort of like me and like my elementary years, then Oregon state was like me maturing as sort of like a teen into an adult. And then what sort of ended up like when i finished at oregon state was sort of young adulthood and like trying to find myself but yeah it was like i think those were sort of like the formative years that allowed me to figure out what one like interdisciplinary approaches to art and like technology was and then also just yeah just it, it just i was just working i was just grind in a to be honest with you like that it was just like those years just it was just a grind and like in everything.
0: So, and now of course you've got, you know, your studio, which you're doing now, which is awesome. So, I mean, it's good that that you had that grind and it seems like you still have that grind doing all of this as well as applying to medical school.
1: Yeah. That is the new beast on the horizon.
0: You're just trying so. to hit all the boxes on the bingo card, huh? No, I'm well, <laughs> yeah.
1: Like it, it's, um, so like it, it's, it's funny because growing up, if you were to say like, if any kid like from like my area, whatever, if they were to say, oh, yeah, I'm interested in like math and science. The first thing that people say is like, oh, you should be a doctor. They don't think about anything else, but oh, okay. oh, think about a doctor, because that's sort of the focal point or the pinnacle of success. And so that sort of always resonated with me outside of like sports, right? So it was either like be an athlete, or I could be a doctor. And so as like the athletic areas sort of fizzled away for me, that opportunity or that interest in being a physician started to grow more and more. Albeit like my exposure of what a physician was and did was very limited. Like it was just like, oh snap, they make money. Oh, they can heal people. They could do all these things. But like, it was just sort of the thing that just, it was just there. And so when I retired and I tried to sort of Grit my teeth as a, as a freelancer in L.A. trying to, like, figure out this whole creative industry and stuff. I just talked to my dad and at prior to going down to L.A., and he was just like, you'll have a year to sort of figure things out. And if things don't start to pick up after a year, then, you know, go back to school and try to get into medical school. And so I was like, OK, cool. Like that. I'll do that. So I ended up working on a documentary, getting some stuff on HBO and doing all that within that year. But like after that happened, like it was just no opportunities were coming my way. And so then I was just like, well, you know, eight months into that year, I was like, well, looks like I kind of want to go back to school because, you know, I I feel like as a student athlete, I didn't get the full experience that I, I was sort of owed as a college student. And so I was just like, well, you know, I'll go back to school, take out student loans and and sort of have a little more focus or direction. And so I ended up going into getting into the post program, pre-med post program at uh, Portland State, because I knew that I had connections at from Oregon State and just packed my car and just headed up here. And from there, it was just this this journey of, you know, doing pre-med stuff to like do all the pre-med requirements and then trying to get on at like an entry-level position as like an intern or something for at a creative agency And really just seeing which one would pick up. And ultimately, I never got the job, but I ended up just, you know, starting Giltopia as a response to just not getting hired anymore. So, yeah, it was just sort of like, I feel like a lot of the things that I sort of stumbled upon were just out of necessity. And from there, it it hasn't been bad. So, you know, I'm just sort of seeing what else I'm going to stumble into. (laughs) (laughs) you talked about the portland uh
0: creative community and and its uh its support with you know not just the work that you're doing but just kind of the you know creative work in general i want to talk about and i want to get your opinion i guess i should say on the ar community i don't know really anything about it i don't know anything about the ar community do you find that there's a lot of diversity in the ar community in terms of like other developers in terms of opportunities
1: stuff like that So, one goal that I had for 2020, I have one goal, and that was to be the black AR guy on YouTube, right? It's like that was the pinnacle of success for me, like, pre, like, once the pandemic hit. And I can honestly say that, like, if there's anything in Portland, if there's anything revolving around sort of blackness and AR in Portland, my name is probably going to come up and that's because that is reflective of the racial diversity in ar there's just not a lot of black people in ar to be sort of frank with you interestingly enough it's very sort of the balance between like men and women i think it teeters to more women and i think one of the reasons i think it's because it's a lot more experimental when you get outside of sort of the business to business solutions And, you know, it's becoming a lot more accessible with like Snapchat and like Facebook or Instagram or Spark AR and stuff. And, and Unity is always like a great tool, but it's, I think we're, we're sort of seeing that this is like the pre Bitcoin spike of AR is at like the pre Bitcoin spike of their sort of lifetime or life cycle. Right. And so they're saying that like AR is going to be at the peak of, you know, adoption three, four years. And so we're sort of sort of festering towards that peak or towards that launching point point. and me come me being from like the Bay area and seeing how like the tech boom, has sort of shifted things in a, in an exponential way. I really want to make an impact on what the numbers look like and the opportunities that there are for, you know, people of color, but for specifically black people in the AR space. Cause to that point, it's like, I didn't know nothing about AR. Like November of 2019, I know nothing about AR. I just knew that it was a way to like make stuff pop off a page from like a demo that Will I. Am did for like his his graphic novel a couple years ago. But like that was about it. It just wasn't on the radar for me. It just wasn't. But then I, once I found out about it, then I realized that non-black people knew about this and they've been making YouTube videos about it and how to do this stuff since 2015, 2016. For me, I was like, crap, I'm behind by years. I need to catch up. And then now it's starting to like be more of a mainstream thing now. And it's coming up on conversation in conversations now for a multitude of reasons that I think like COVID have has definitely expedited that conversation more. But yeah, the diversity numbers, I'm curious to see what they look like. Yeah, what they look like in you know at the end of next year, because we out here, but not a lot
0: of us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like with a lot of the talk around, you know, Black folks in STEM and stuff like that, I've certainly been hearing about, like, Black people kind of going more into, well, I not want to say more going into, but certainly going into kind of the more techie parts of STEM. So, like, of course, you have Black folks in AI and in machine learning and stuff like that. I know, certainly know a lot of animators and illustrators I don't know many people. I think you might be the first person I've talked to on the show that is really doing stuff with AR. So, I mean, you're yeah. sort of forging that that path for a lot of people, which is a good thing.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that was the reality that like I had, and that was sort of the inter- internal conversation that I was having with myself. It's that every video, every sort of message board, everything that like I would go into, I would be the only black person there literally the only black person. And so when you're trying to like talk to people or when you're trying to just connect with people, it was just really difficult. And I think that's indicative of sort of navigating blackness in, in a way that, that you only find in like predominantly white areas, right. Where it's like, you get into a room and so say it's like a classroom. And this has happened to like tons of like my pre-med classes where I would be the only black person there and everybody is sort of like sharing notes, meeting up after class, but nobody is ever starting conversations with me. And so I either have to start, try to start a conversation with somebody that clearly isn't interested in talking to me, or I have to find the other black person or ambiguous looking person that I will probably be able to identify with. It's really like that with sort of the AR space, at least initially. And luckily, like I'm in Portland and like people are very sort of progressive and and they're open and they are like hyper aware <laughs> in many ways, especially this year, because of the issue, like people are hyper aware that like you want to make sure to like not shun the black person that it's a it's really helped me. So now I have like a community. But it was tough, you know, trying to debug experiences and dealing with mission, message boards and not getting clear answers and stuff. It's tough starting off, especially like starting off by yourself on just sort of a passion project. But, you know, from that, it's like, okay, now that I found the answers, then it's like, I have the, I have sort of the responsibility to make sure that somebody else that's in my position doesn't have the same experience that I have. And so it's sort of that responsibility that ultimately lends to a legacy but that Lexi also has a lot of work that is required to sort of realize that. And so um, I'm sort of in that in the middle of that now where it's like I have a whole bunch of ideas, a whole bunch of classes, a whole bunch of things that like I want to put out into the world. It's just I got to spend, you know, the hours upon hours upon hours to like make it accessible for others.
0: If someone that's listening to this wants to start learning AR, I know you've mentioned, you know, a couple of resources just kind of sprinkled throughout the interview, but are there specific ones that you would recommend? I mean, your courses, of course, but are there other specific (laughs) resources you'd recommend for people that want to start on AR?
1: Yeah. So obviously I have a, I have a course out that's how to essentially how to make an AR app without knowing any code. And so I essentially just like walk you through the process or my process of how I made like an, an AR app without code. The thing that I was sort of baffled by was the fact that I was meeting people that didn't go to school for, to do AR stuff. They just watched a couple of YouTube videos and they taught themselves and now they have a career in AR. Like that's what baffled me. And so like, and it didn't really make any sense when I was trying to learn stuff because I paid $11 for the course that taught me how to do uh, AR stuff. That eleven dollar investment was probably the best eleven dollar investment I ever made because it like all the tools are free. There's so many YouTube resources that you can go into. It's just a matter of how to navigate it. And so for me, it's like once I found out like what to look for, then I was able to like find it all, you know, as long as I pay my Comcast bill, right? And so the first things that I would I would tell people to look up is on YouTube is how to use Unity for AR if they want to do stuff for Snapchat or if they want to do stuff for Instagram or Facebook, then how to use like Lens Studio for Snapchat and then how to use Spark AR for Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, that simple like YouTube search of just how to use the software for augmented reality, you'll find literally like a whole curriculum of resources that are just combined for just user-generated from the community. And so I think the beauty is that the sort of the monopoly on the information to use these things, you know, to learn these tools and, and to make cool stuff with it, like that monopoly is sort of, I guess, retconned or diminished, at least because of COVID. And because of that, you just need to have, just make sure you have a computer that can keep up with the software, you know, and that's about it. So yeah. Simple YouTube search or simple Google search of just like how to make AR with unity. If you could search that, just go down a rabbit hole and, you know, you'll get introduced to a, a whole lot of stuff that, that you'll be like, Oh, this is crazy. But you know, like keep at it two to three months later and you'll be, you'll be making stuff. Like it's, it didn't take me that long to be honest with you. I just needed some help with the direction for the most part.
0: Interesting. It sounds like it's Pretty easy to pick up, but maybe people that are listening to this might want to pick it up. You know, as a kind of New Year's resolution or something. I don't
1: know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, going into twenty twenty one, because of the pandemic and everything, at least the healthcare field or the medical field is looking at ways to incorporate AR and and mixed reality and virtual reality into healthcare for like patient to patient interactions and in and, and educational resources, and so. If you're looking for a possible career opportunity that will be future-proof, it's like getting into AR now is probably the best thing because it's a skill set that you can put on a resume of like, I know how to use Unity specifically, and you could get a job that pays a solid five figures. Wow. For people that don't know, a typical Unity developer could make like $75 to like $80 an hour. If you're trying to come up in, in some new technology, it's like learn unity. You can learn unity. Like any black people, I mean I'd be like, learn unity. Don't try to <laughs> learn don't try to learn how to make beats. Learn how to use unity. And then you can make beats on the side with the with the hundred and twenty eight dollars an hour that you're making. And so, you know, wow. like that that's what I tell people.
0: You See, that. now now that feels like a personal attack because I definitely bought a keyboard. <laughs> here (laughs) because i was like i'm gonna teach myself how to make beats in 2020 when i tell you it is still propped up in the corner collecting dust
1: look at it i i don't even know if i (laughs) like i have a keyboard my like i have a keyboard i think i donated it at this point like i grew up in the age of fruity loops right so like i torrented like i got fruity loops off of kazah like one day and i would just forever just try to play around with it but, uh, but my beats was trash. <laughs> you know, like it, it's uh, those are sort of you know, axillary things that me as a creator really, really enjoys because, you know, yes, I'm an AR developer. I have to like code. I have to sort of frame things out. I have to design things. But at the end of the day, I get to animate and I get to add my finishing touches to things. I get to add, you know, TikTok dances to stuff. I get to add music that I love and it resonates with me. I get to add those to my experiences. I get to add the jokes that I grew up with watching Bernie Mac and watching Richard Pryor. I get to add that sort of that pizzazz to it, to finish it off, to sort of set it apart from other things. And I think that like that is the beauty of having these sort of skills and being sort of tapped into into the culture like that. The difference is that like you have to sort of had that foundation that you could sprinkle those sort of idiosyncrasies on. And often it's really, really difficult in this day and age where, you know, like you got to pay bills, you got to do this, you got to do that, but then you also want to make cool stuff. It's definitely a, uh, a you know, a millennial problem or post millennial problem where these are the things that like our parents didn't have to deal with. <laughs> you know, like this is not our parents' problem, this is our problem. And it kind of is what it is with that.
0: I just realized now as I'm looking at the Pokemon twerk team page <laughs> on your website, there's been this gif that is, I don't know. It's probably been on the web for the better part of like a decade of like yeah. Ash Ketchum twerking with Pikachu. Yep. You made that. That's, y- made that's that. your video. That gif is from your video.
1: Yes. Yes. I made, that was the first animated short that I put on YouTube. Wow. And I did that back in 2012, 2013. Uh-huh. And, And yeah, yeah. It will outlive me. It it will outlive me.
0: Um, That can be your claim to fame. No, I'm
1: kidding. So it's weird because like when I was a football player, I had this sort of following because I was like one of the only football players that overcame two hip surgeries and and made it, you know, transferred to a a school at a higher division or at a higher that played at a higher level and was starting and was in grad school and was doing all these different things. So I was like one of like very few guys and I was like the only black person doing it. And then I had this other following uh, on the internet from Pokemon Tour team that had nothing to do with like me as like an, as an athlete. It was interesting because like when you're playing with under the NCAA and stuff like that, you're not allowed to make any sort of like, you can't make any profits or you can't use your likeness to, to like create stuff. So I had these like two different identities that were going me as sort of like the Pokemon twerk team guy. And then me as the football player, and they couldn't overlap. Otherwise I would like lose my eligibility. And so when I finished playing the thing that has lasted the longest, at least now has always been like that Pokemon twerk team thing where it just, for some reason, like people just find the, be compelled to just start sharing it and sharing it and sharing it again. So it would just literally just peak and valley. And that the latest resurgence was like a couple of months ago when, you know, I made a, a TikTok about like for it back in like September of 2019. And I was just like, oh, OK, like this seems like Vine. Let me just, you know, add some music to it and like add some more gist to to it. And then like a year later, people stumbled upon it on TikTok. And then before I knew it, I was getting like a million views a, a day and then ultimately getting shadow banned because that's what TikTok started doing to black creators. <laughs> Wow! <laughs> like that's just something that like is just always just going to be a, a thing. Now it's it's a way for me to explore animation like 3D animation with Pokemon torque team. So I'm like exploring a 3d animation with it. And so I'm starting to play around with a few ideas, but yeah, it's just sort of a test project to focus my energy into something. And hopefully I won't get shadow banned anymore, but we'll see how that goes.
0: (laughs) Who are some of your influences? Like, I mean, I, I can definitely tell that you're inspired by just like the culture in terms of like black culture, music, et cetera. But do you have any like particular influences, any people or anyone that kind of give credence or give some sort of like inspiration to the work that you do?
1: Yeah, I'm listening to this, this audiobook called Super Black, and it's sort of allowing me to revisit a lot of the, the inspirations that like, I often don't get the, give myself the time to admire. In in a very overt way, but uh, you know, obviously, like Reginald Hudlin is one of the people that has like really, really, really inspired me to like do the work that I'm doing, at least in terms of like innovation and stories and and sort of having blackness at the focus. You know, so Reginald Hudlin, freaking uh, Aaron Magruder. I, I feel like once I found out, like once I figured out where Aaron McGruder's Wikipedia page was, and I like watched. Or like I read sort of his like milestones that he did. you know, started off as like a school newspaper. then from there he branched off into getting syndications and all that. like I literally just tried to model everything after that to the point where like he had a he had this thing called the super Rumble mix show on like YouTube with the with the like tube steak and slit and uh, and black Jesus. And so I like started my own little like started my own little mix show on YouTube and so i've always like modeled sort of my career path after him then like i guess artistic styles uh this artist named scotty young and he and he works in this sort of super deformed sort of cute and and brash style and so i really sort of model a lot of like my character designs and like my artistic style off of him and uh and jim Mafood, who's like a you know another another guy who happens to live in portland now which was pretty cool because I met up with him prior to the pandemic. And then really, you know, Dwayne McDuffie, I would say, you know, like rest in peace, you know, in terms of just really sort of paving the way for black creators in general, that's sort of like my Mount Rushmore for like creative inspirations. I would say in like the, in like the immersive technology side, you know, I'm very, very rarely will I find another black person and so that that's sort of you know very far and few between. But for the most part, like it, it's you know like this guy named like Sudo eats flies. He's like a Australian guy. He's like one of the very first people to like do AR comics, and he started to sort of do things as like just experimental projects. And so you know sort of following his work and and the work that uh, that ironically like Will I am did with his like AR comics that really sort of framed my approach on how to approach what like what AR stuff would look like for me in sort of that, that way. Cause um, I guess I could sort of speak to this as a, like a STEM educator, but my biggest critique about the STEM initiatives that, that we're sort of trying to funnel like black kids into it's really focused on trying to like learn a skill or learning a trade And then going out into the world and then trying to find a job now that you understand the trade. But the reality is that like, that's not how things work. Things work off of portfolios. Things work off of proof of concepts. And so for me, it's, you know, my approach and what I always try to encourage kids coming up is that if you can't make anything cool and then sort of iterate on that, you know, then like it's very, it's going to be very difficult for you to compete. And so My sort of critique and my work is is really predicated on if I have a group of students that that's trying to break into the industry, I'm going to create projects that are innovative in nature and also culturally relevant. And then from there, I'm going to teach them how to do it. And then from there, they're going to learn the skills, but then they're going to have a body of work that will set them apart and then ultimately will have people knocking on their doors to try to get them to do that for them. You know, that's sort of that playing into like the, you know, the viral culture that we live in. Like that's how things get, you know, that's how opportunities are created. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's hopefully I could influence people, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs>
0: do you feel creatively satisfied?
1: Yeah, I do. The part that I'm at now, the curse of the pandemic for a creative person is that it forces them to think of ideas Right. Because they have, you know, everybody has time now. And so for me, the ideas are constantly coming now that I sort of like come into my own. And so now it's this point where I can continue working on an idea for seven hours or I could try to, like, build a team to work so I could work on 20 ideas and work uh, and sort of provide opportunities for other people and, and stuff like that. The creativity, I don't think will ever, ever stop, but it, it's definitely overflowing right now. And uh, I have like a, you know, mini anxiety attacks. And I look at like the the list of ideas that I want to do and realize that I'm probably only going to do like two or three out of the the hundred that I have on my board.
0: Now, do you have sort of a dream projects, which I guess at this point, I don't know, you can kind of, you kind of come up with everything that you want to do, but is there like a dream project or like a a dream collab that you'd love to do one day?
1: Yes. And it's very specific, very, very specific, right? So I make books and uh, like, uh, if we're to sort of like parse me down, what do I do? Like, what product do I sell? I sell books. I sell handmade books. With that, my relationship with books is one that like, I think most black people, at least black males that like played sports, like most black people would identify with where I didn't read my first book until I was sort of forced to like my first foray into books was like through comic books. And so like picture books was sort of my, my entry drug into, you know, reading more books because of that, like because of like my late start and stuff, essentially like bottleneck me when I'm trying to like progress in like my profession. Cause most pre-med tests and all those different things are reading based. And so I, I had a little catching up to do later on in life. But one of the things that like I really, really enjoyed was, you know, sort of audiobooks. And I really enjoyed audiobooks that resonated with me on like a cultural level. And for many people, like you know, audiobooks and like music sort of coincide because it's a it's just a different way of like processing things. And so I started thinking about like, huh what if I were to make a book that allowed me to hear it, but then also see it and, and hold the book in, in my hand? And so I still get that tactile feel. I'm still reading a book, but then I still have that experience that I like really appreciate it with. And so then I was like, okay, who would I like want to do that with? You know, me being from the Bay Area, it's like, you know, if I wanted to listen to a book that was like cool and edgy and like interactive, the first person that I think about is E40. And that's just because E-40 for, you know, E-40 for our generation, at least, yeah, like our generation is like the Dr. Seuss of black people, essentially. (laughs) Like like E-40 is the Dr. Seuss of black people. What if I were to do an AR book with E-40, you know, where it's sort of a, you know, a black Dr. Seuss book that's innovative in nature because it has animation, it has his voice. You know, and it has this sort of like rhyme pattern that like really only he can do and it sort of plays with words on a page and it literally pops off the page. And so I would just like, you know, if I could do an AR book series with E forty, that is the pinnacle of success. Cause one, E forty hasn't come out with the book yet, two, E forty should be making audiobooks or something like that, you know, with all the things that he's doing. And three who wouldn't want to get a book from E-40? Like, dang, you know, like that. Like, it's a recipe for success. It practically sells itself. That's my dream project. It, it's, uh, you know, making an AR book series with E-40.
0: Have you reached out to him or his camp about it, like on social
1: media? Yes, yes. I have. Uh, I don't know if I... So on Twitter, I tend to have these, like, little spurts of just, like, putting things out into the out into the ether. And then I'll pin that to my, like, Twitter thing. And so uh, I'll pin that to like my Twitter page. And so I think I have every six months or every seven months, I'll like retweet like, oh, yeah, I have this project. And I think that I would want E40 to to do it with me. And it's an AR project and all that. So, yeah, I try to I'm very, very consistent at, at trying to speak things into existence. And so I just need to. I understand that, like, I need to continue carving out my niche so that that naturally that naturally sort of manifests and happens. But I mean, at this point, I mean, the way my life is sort of turned out, you know, if I just keep going at it, it might happen like next week or you know in a couple months. So, you know, we'll see.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, that sounds like such a perfect kind of a, a meshing of talent, like what he's doing, what you're doing. Then I'm also thinking like the recent verses Well, that was like a couple of weeks ago with E40 and Too Short. Like, I feel like that that would have been a perfect, a perfect kind of combination there. So,
1: yes. Like, it's it's something that only the Bay could produce. (laughs) Like, it's, and I think that's like to the point of like the verses where like, all the other verses were like, cool, right? But like the one with E40 and Too Short, there was something different about that one. I think it just sort of like speaks to just the culture that like the Bay breeds as sort of like a subculture of blackness, right? It's like, you could tell, you could tell if somebody's from the South, you could tell if somebody's from LA, you could tell if somebody's from New York, you could tell if somebody's from Texas and you could tell if somebody's from the Bay. It's just a little different. Right. And, uh, and I think with just the infla- the infusion of technology and it being Silicon Valley and just sort of just that nuance that just Bay artists have, you know, I, it's it's just something that like has always just stuck with me because I was the kid that what was running around in a white tee and trying to get my stuff airbrushed and, you know, had Kooji jeans on and and all of that in the early 2000s. And part of the hyphy movement, everybody knew, tried to know, learn how to dance and, and all that. Like that's just always followed me. And uh, and the influences that I have from that I got from growing up in sort of the hyphy area of the of the bay those seeds are unlike pokemon twerk team you know those seeds are you know my other projects that i'm working on that's just me it just so happens that it's innovative quote unquote (laughs) because it's in you know using technology and stuff
0: where do you see yourself in the next five years i mean i feel like just based off of what you've been talking about before you kind of operate in the future i get the sense that you kind of know and and get a sense of sort of what's going on right now, but you're always looking ahead, looking forward. Where do you see yourself? Like it's 2026. What is Stephen Christian doing? What is he working on?
1: If it's 2026, hopefully I will be Dr. Christian because I'll be finishing up medical school. and, (laughs) uh, And from there I will be like illtopia will sort of be existing and I'll be owning and, and operating that at, at, you know, at some capacity. And really it's having a really having a really just sort of carving out this legacy that I'm like, you know, currently carving out, right? Like I started, you know, a few podcasts that are sort of, you know, voices for certain populations in Portland and sort of in the creative community and uh, like the black creative community And then, um, you know, I have this series Island Fever, which is sort of a telling of a fantastical black experience and using that as sort of the, the sort of the pilot, the pilot project for why people should, why people should tell immersive stories about the black experience and also why people should tell, use books for, uh, use books as anchors for emerging technology. Like I'm, Doing a whole bunch of just just different things with that, and so I think much like I you know started this journey from Hawaii with like you know comics and stuff like that, and then when I got to Oregon State, I just sort of leveled up. I hope that you know with each year leading up to that, I just continue just leveling up and just adding more and more things to adding more, being able to build more of a community around the things that I'm uh, I'm doing, and so um, I think the beauty about this is that. I'm trying to get into medical school and then I'm trying to be a a physician or a doctor. And so all of these things, and it's sort of symbiotic, but like if utopia fails and stuff, then at least I'll be a doctor, right? You know? And if like I don't end up getting into medical school, at least I'm popping in like the AR space. And so for me it's just it it gives me a level of comfort that like I could sort of branch out and, and iterate and and do things without having to worry about like the consequences as much. Because it because I'm just sort of I've just carved this own in lane for me that that just took years to sort of carve out. And so uh, and so, yeah, I'm just I'm just really curious as much as anybody else. But I think that I will be a doctor that still makes AR stuff. <laughs>
0: nice. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you, about your work? Like where can they follow your journey online?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it depends on uh, on where, but uh, if you guys want to follow like my studio, I say it's a studio because it's sort of an entity, but it's really just me. But uh, it's uh, a so Iltopia, so I L T O P I A. You just type that in any pretty much any search bars or social platform, and you'll find you'll find it. My own sort of like personal projects and stuff like that. It's a uh, stuck on an island, so it's S T U C K, O N. A N, and instead of island, the traditional way it's E Y E L N D, and so uh, so this sort of a ode to the SoundCloud culture. But uh, but uh, yeah, stuck on an island is like my own personal stuff. And then Black Superheroes Matter is another project that is you know always having a resurgence up and down. Uh, and so if you type in just Black Superheroes Matter, not Black Heroes Matter, but Black Superheroes Matter, that's a project that I started. Um, and yeah, if you're in Portland, just, uh, uh, PDX black rose. If you if you like Pokemon, Pokemon torque team, I think I make so many projects and, and they all sort of have their own identity when I sort of put them out that you'll be surprised. I might've worked on a project that you just stumbled upon for, for no apparent reason.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll make sure that we have links to everything in the show notes, this might be the post that has the most show note links in it. Cause got so many projects and stuff, but man, yeah. Steven Christian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for, well, one for sharing your story. You know what? I was doing my research for everything. I looked at news clips, I read your story and certainly I heard about, you know, the injury and the surgeries and everything. And I think when folks hear about that, uh, particularly from athletes, when they start to pivot into creative work, Of course, that's something that is worth celebrating and worth, worth triumphing. But I I think it's important that you're doing this while also remaining unapologetically black about it. And I think that is something that is inspiring to me because I have my own like creative sort of like cartoon animation ideas. I want to get out there one day. And so hearing about how you've been able to do it and the success that you've gotten with it is certainly inspiring to me. I hope it is inspiring. um, Also the people that are listening. So thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I guess the, to that point, I've taken so many L's along my journey that at this point, I don't even care anymore. You know, like I, I see stuff that I just want to see in the world. And so it's, the beauty is that i could be unapologetic about it because you know the only person i have to answer to is myself and so you know for everybody you know i really appreciate the platform and the opportunity and uh you know just uh hopefully make 2021 even blacker than it already is
0: (laughs) (laughs) big big thanks to steven christian and of course thanks to you for listening You can find out more about Stephen and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. I want to hear from you. What did you think about this episode? Tell me if you liked it, if you didn't like it. What do you think about the podcast overall? Don't be a stranger. We really love to hear from you. I love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for at Revision Path or leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let the world know about the show because it really helps us grow and reach more people around the world. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.